Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So we are on um, part three of our two-part series called Fervent in Spirit. And the idea with fervent in spirit is, uh, it comes from Romans 12, uh, it's Romans 12, 11, and we're wrapping it up today. And Romans 12, the late chapters in Romans are really practical. The first part of Romans is just very deep and good theology, learning some pretty profound things about God and just how nice he is. How sweet he is, how forgiving, how merciful, how gracious he is. Just really good stuff. And then Romans 12 to the end is just some very practical ways that we can follow him. What does it look like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And Romans 12, 11 has this, it starts with, um, or right before the fervent spirit phrase is, do not be slothful in zeal. But then it says, but be fervent in spirit. What's up, Brandon? <laughs> I love having someone in the front row there. Um, so be fervent in spirit. Sorry, I get... Um, and the word fervent, we learned in the original language, which is Greek in the New Testament, uh, actually means boiling. It means to be boiling with spiritual passion. It's the type of person that can't get Jesus out of their head. They just... Um, Everything they do, they put it through the filter of, I wonder how Jesus, if he were me, would act in this moment. And then they depend on him through the Spirit. Say, okay, God, help me to live that out. They're just fervent. But we also learned that it's a paradox. And a paradox is when you have maybe a couple different things that seem like opposites of each other, but are happening at the same time. So the paradox is that, yes, fervent in spirit means that you are boiling with passion internally, and the furnace of your soul is just boiling with passion for Jesus and his kingdom. But at the same time, you're not like hyper-enthusiastic. It doesn't mean you're giddy with enthusiasm. There's a strong, deep sense of stability in your life. There's actually a strong sense of calm and presence when you're talking with someone who is like further down the road in spiritual maturity who's experiencing this fervency. So fervency is boiling and at rest, passionate and stable. You're not on the fringes of crazy in Christian world. You're right there in the center and talking with someone who's really fervent in spirit and is mature in their fervency doesn't like make you nervous it stabilizes you. They have a calming effect. They give you a sense of God's peace and his goodness and wisdom. So that's where we're at and that's where we're wrapping up today. And you might be thinking that um, it's easy for me as a pastor, maybe it's easy for Alex as a pastor, Kara and Courtney who are full-time or we're full-time, they're part-time ministers. We work for the church. We're supposed to be fervent in spirit like don't I think about Jesus all the time? Like, that's my job. We, I say before, I've heard this from somebody else, but um, I'm paid to be good, but you guys are good for nothing. You do it for free. Like, I'm supposed to think about these things. I'm supposed to be growing spiritually and fervent spirit. But that's not the case. The case is it's everybody. We're all invited. 
every single person in this room can be spiritually fervent, passionate about Jesus and his kingdom, no matter what you're doing. So the question is, what does it look like for a teacher to be fervent in spirit? What does it look like for someone who's retired to be fervent in spirit? What does it look like for a student to be fervent in spirit? A nurse to be fervent in spirit? Whatever your life stage, whatever you do for a living, whatever, however you spend your time, what does it look like for you to be fervent in spirit? That's what we're thinking about. And I want to introduce you to a practice this uh, morning that has been hugely important in my life and has probably shaped me more than anything else uh, that I've done, and that is memorization, scripture memorization. So this is going to be kind of a practical teaching this morning. Um, Late in college and when I kind of went off and started uh, my vocation uh, before ministry, I remember coming back home and seeing some pretty dramatic changes in my dad. Uh, my dad is an extremely gentle, loving, kind uh, human being, just very tender-hearted, very sweet man. Um, before Jesus started really working in his life, he was also kind of imposing. And some of you have even talked about my dad. You knew him from school. He was the one that would walk through Norway High School with the paddle. He was known as the enforcer. So if there's an issue uh, and there's someone rowdy or there's a group of dudes acting up, my dad would be called to the scene and he would just handle it. All right, don't ask any questions. Dave's going to go into the classroom. It's going to be handled. It's going to be good. And my dad, we always got along. We were always close. Our family's always been very close. Um, but you could see this kind of imposing, intimidating, scary side of him. Well, when I went to college, like late in college, I started coming home, and he, I started noticing that he was actually becoming very gentle. Like I was, you know, I would jab him a little bit and try to rile him up because it was fun for me at that time because I was in college and and he wouldn't respond to that he was actually very gracious very sweet and just kind of laughed along with it and was very humble very tender and I found out what was happening he was actually memorizing scripture so he memorized first John the entire book he memorized James the entire book and as scripture began to become part of his psyche, his soul DNA, it began to change him in ways that were absolutely, undeniably real. Ways that you cannot fake. And we're about following and imitating and trusting in Jesus in ways that genuinely transform us. And that's what I was seeing in my dad. And it was when he started memorizing books of the Bible that I really began to see this. When you take scripture and you internalize it through meditation, it becomes alive in you. And sometimes we kind of have a, a weird, almost superstitious idea of the Bible. This is ink on paper. That's what this is. There's nothing magical about it. You know, sometimes we have this strange idea that if I'm driving in my car, if I put this on my dashboard, it's going to keep me safe if I get in a car accident, or there's just something magical about this. It has like a force field around it that it's going to protect me. 
That's superstitious. That's not how we view Scripture. It's not until you take what's inside of these pages and internalize them through listening to teachings or reading or memorizing that it actually becomes active. It's not a magical token. It's a message about a good God who does good things for his creation. So I have a, a Valkyrie a motorcycle. It's, just, it's fun just to say that. And it's, it's a 1500cc. It's um, six-cylinder engines, six carburetors. And I don't know a whole lot about motorcycles, but I am le- in 10 years, I'm going to know a lot about it because I want to do my own maintenance and stuff. And it's, it's a gorgeous motorcycle. It's beautiful. And sometimes I'll like walk into our garage and I'll just, just look at it. I mean, just look at it. It's awesome. So fun. It's so fun to tinker on and work with. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of machinery. But it doesn't come alive. It doesn't do what it was intended to do until I actually put gasoline in the tank and take it out on the back roads and ride these backcountry roads in the fall. Oh my goodness. And just as the, the trees and the leaves are beginning to change in the crisp, cool air. Oh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's doing what it was intended to do. It's not meant just to sit there. It becomes alive in a way when you put fuel into it. Same thing if I had like an apple right now and um, no matter how beautiful it looked, if it was just red, shiny apple and looked nourishing and nutritious, it's not meant just to be looked at. It doesn't do anything until I actually ingest it, that it actually begins to nourish me. That's what scripture's like. We are people whose lives are animated by scripture. We become good people, like our good God, as we take the words of Scripture, internalize them, memorize them, and they go to work in us. I want to go through this morning, and we're going to look at different passages for each of these, but these are in your notes. I want to look at three benefits of memorizing Scripture this morning. You can follow along in the bulletin. Um, We're going to start with the first one. Memorizing Scripture helps us overcome sin. Memorizing scripture helps us overcome sin. So let's look at Psalm 119.11, and I'll race you there. You can look on your devices, or you can open your Bible, or you can just listen if you'd like. That is fine too. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there's something Powerful that happens, enabling us to overcome sin tendencies in our lives. When we take the words of Scripture, lift them off the page, and store them in our hearts, they become active, they give us extra strength to overcome what might be maybe a besetting sin. A besetting sin is something that you just can't seem to shake. Um, And it affects every aspect of your life. And I think to really understand how good this is, how good this truth is, we have to understand how damaging sin is. Sin dehumanizes you. It's destructive to you and to those closest to you, to everyone you love, and then in concentric circles to everybody else in your life beyond that. It affects you the most, and then the people you love, and then everyone else 
Sin makes you more self-obsessed, self-focused. Um, it curves you inward, is what some people have said in the past. It destroys you. And some sins cannot be overcome in your own habits by snapping a rubber band when you do it. Some sins you just can't seem to shake. And the way that you shake it, where I've seen real victory in people, is memorizing Scripture. This will give you another idea of um, the danger of sin. 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Sin wars against your soul. And it will make you more grumpy, less yourself, more apathetic. You'll be the worst version of yourself if you just allow sin to do that to you. But when you overcome sin, which is one of the greatest battles of a follower of Jesus, is overcoming sin to a life of goodness, you become the most beautiful version of yourself. And it takes a lifetime, and you still won't be there after that. But it's the battle that we're in. It's the battle that we're in for our souls. And when we memorize Scripture, it gives the Spirit something to work with. When you become a Christian, the Spirit dwells in you forever, and He lives there, and He's going to help you become more like Jesus. That's His job. He's going to make you good, like your Creator. And when you memorize Scripture, the Spirit can take all those things that you've memorized and allow it to nourish you when you're facing temptation. Like, if we don't give Him anything to work with, He's still a a great God and still powerful, still sanctifies and do things for us. But if we don't give him anything to work with, it's a lot less effective. So Kevin Stefanski, has anyone ever heard of that name, Kevin Stefanski? Coach, lead coach, head coach of the Brownies. He's an awesome coach. I don't know a lot about football, but I know he's a great coach. He like won coach of the year last year, didn't he? He's like coach of the year. He's a great coach. They're going to win today. It's going to be good. We're fine. And no matter how good a coach he is, if you don't give him anyone to work with, it's not going to be that effective. Like, the Browns have some weapons. He's got a lot to work with. But let's just say, like, let's say the Worcester Generals got to play a season in the NFL. They, they won some lottery, and they get to play in the NFL this season. And Kevin Stefanski is going to be their coach. No matter how great a coach Kevin Stefanski is, he doesn't have a lot to work with. This is no bang on the Worcester High School. It's just... They're high schoolers. They're playing against grown men who probably outweigh them 100 pounds at their positions, and they're just not going to be fit to win this game. If Kevin Stefanski has stuff to work with, he can have a pretty good season. If we don't give the spirit things to work with, then we're not going to have any victory over, especially the besetting sins in our lives that we just can't shake. An example for me uh, with sin in particular is Hebrews 2.18 it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. That's a, that's a go-to for me. Um, when I'm facing some type of temptation, I say that, and it reminds me, yeah, Jesus was tempted too. And his spirit living in me is going to actually help me overcome this temptation. That's the first one. Memorizing scripture helps us overcome sin. Memorizing Scripture helps us pray. You know, as you're reading through Scripture, it becomes very evident, if you're reading the Gospels, that Jesus had a ton of Scripture memorized. I don't know if he had the whole Old Testament memorized or not. Um, I don't know if he had the first five books of the, 
of scripture of the Old Testament memorized or not, but he had a ton of scripture memorized. It comes out in his teachings. It comes out in his prayers. Imagine the darkest hour of your life. The worst moment of your life. And you don't have, it's so bad you can't think straight. And you don't even know how to pray. What are you going to say? Let's look at what Jesus did when he was at the darkest moment of his life. And so you can turn with me to Mark 15. And we're going to flip between here and Psalm 22. You can just listen if you would like. But Mark 15, 34, I'm not going to try to say it in the language that he said it, but here's what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the, hell is not so much a geographical location as it is being on the wrong side of God's love. Like the worst part of hell is not the flames. It's possible that's even metaphorical. The worst part of hell is that you are forsaken by God. Which is why we can say that Jesus experienced hell on the cross. In the middle of his crucifixion, and everything was getting dark, he knew that he was being forsaken by the Father, and he said, why have you forsaken me? Where did he get that? If he didn't have the words to think straight in that moment, if he needed help to pray, where did he get that? And this is where you can turn to Psalm 22. And let's just read the very first line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of times the ways that rabbis would teach back then is they would give the first line of a verse and it, it implied that they're teaching the entire passage that this comes from. So by Jesus saying the first line of Psalm 22, he was actually praying the entire psalm. So if you read Psalm 22, you see that, yes, it was David who wrote it, who was talking about his circumstances, but it was really talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what Psalm 22 is about. And Jesus, in his darkest moment, prayed it. He went to Scripture. And I do that a lot. Most of the time, I don't really know what to pray. Most of the time, I don't really have words to pray. And so I'll start praying Scripture. And sometimes that primes the pump and then allows me to begin praying without it. But it's a great place to start. Memorizing Scripture helps us pray. And finally, memorizing Scripture helps us meditate. And meditation, not in the Eastern sense of meditation where you're trying to empty your brain, but meditation um, in the scriptural sense where you're trying to fill your brain with stuff that's true about God. Scripture passages. Meditating on God's word produces all kinds of vitality in your life. All kinds of good things in your life. Uh, we talk a lot about solitude and silence around here because we think it's a very important practice especially in our day and age especially in our culture but it's not solitude and silence it's not creating pockets of quiet and unavailability in your life just for the sake of sitting there quietly I mean sometimes it's that but more often than not it's so that you can chew on and reflect on a Bible passage so that it can go to work inside of you so that it can make you into a different person. 
So when you're practicing silence and solitude in your car and you have all your devices turned off and all the radios turned off and you come to a stoplight and you're sitting there quietly, what do you think about? And what I'm proposing is it would be good to think about Scripture that you have memorized. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Do you see that? He meditates on Scripture day and night. And what does it produce? The image is of a tree planted by a healthy, clean stream of water that never runs dry. And the roots are nourished by the healthy soil by this stream. Scripture. The roots are nourished by the water. So it could be a drought all around this tree. Everything else could be dead. And it's flourishing. Big green leaves and fruit in its proper season, which is a whole nother teaching. But that tree, no matter what happens around it, is abundant so that people can actually come and enjoy the fruit of it. That's actually the picture of a Christian who is maturing in Christ, that people enjoy the good fruit of your life. They enjoy the bounty of your life. Everyone can come to you and experience the goodness of God just by being in your presence. That's the goal. That's what Jesus was like. That's what we can be like through Scripture memory. Another passage is Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It actually says that. How do you have a prosperous, successful, fruitful life? You think about the Bible a lot. Like day and night, constantly. You have a library of Scripture at your access. All right, I want to give you some practical ways to start because this might feel a little bit overwhelming and I want you to feel like you can start wherever you are. You don't have to be heroic. It's better if you're not heroic. I, I would not suggest you go home and decide you're going to memorize a whole book of the Bible. My dad is a different animal. He can decide things like that, and then he does it. He's, he's different than most of us, so I wouldn't make that decision. I would just start very simply. You could start with a, a stack of four-by-six note cards. So I have a stack of note cards, and in the morning, as part of my, my rhythm of being with Jesus, I just go through seven of those every morning. It's one of the first things I do. I, I, or Abby sometimes helps me. I, I give her the stack, and um, she'll quiz me on it. And just seven of those at a time for me works, and it kind of primes me to pray and talk with God. I feel like, okay, that's what I need to do to wake up spiritually. So just get, a, get some four-by-six note cards and start with one. And start building your, your library of scriptures that are memorized. The second thing is have a long-term memorization project. Break it down into simple chunks. So I have this project that I'm doing um, on Psalm 23. And it's probably a 10 to 15 year memorization project. Now I could probably quote Psalm 23 right now. You could memorize the whole thing and... A few hours, I'm sure, any one of us. 
But this is a long game thing for me. So my first year, you know what I did? I memorized the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I probably said that, I don't know, 10 times a day. Over and over and over because there's something about repeating a phrase that's packed with spiritual vitamins like that that it begins to absorb. Your heart begins to make a space for that phrase in your life. The Lord is my shepherd. And then I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will have need for nothing. To be able to go through your life without needing anything from anyone else because you trust that your shepherd's going to give you everything you need, it's a pretty sweet place to live. And it'll take you a couple years to get there. You have to say something like this over and over till your heart begins to believe it because you don't believe that now. I didn't either. But you will after saying it a couple years. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. You slowly go through this and you say one phrase maybe a year as your project, long term, and it becomes a part of you and you actually begin to believe it and you actually rearrange your life around those truths. All right. The last one is memorize at a rate that is realistic and gentle. Again, don't try to be heroic. If you can just, you know, for the rest of this year until December 31st, you're going to memorize one verse. There's some pretty small verses in the Bible. You could memorize Jesus wept. God will use it. If you memorize Jesus wept, that's a whole verse. I, say it now. Jesus wept. Jesus. Boom. You have one verse memorized. I don't know where that is. It's somewhere in there. I forget where it is, but it's in there. You have a verse memorized. So start with something simple. Like Everybody can do that. Everybody can repeat Jesus wept. And if that's hard for you to remember, write it down and just carry it with you. In a few months, you'll remember it. But also memorize where you got the verse, like the, the book and the chapter and verse, because that comes in handy too sometimes. But start gently. Don't try to be heroic with it. All right, there's a quote at the, the bottom of your notes. And this is from a book by Henry Nouwen, The Way of the Heart, which is an amazing, amazing book. Deb Ackerman, it's a really good book. You got it? Yeah, I know. She's writing it down right now. She's writing it down right now. It's a little one, too, so it's, a, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I would get it. The way of the heart. Here's the quote, and this is what I want you to remember. I'm going to have one more thing to say after this, but this is what I want you to remember. The importance, the vital importance of fanning into flame your faith, as Paul says to Timothy, being fervent in spirit, like, make that a lifelong project, and here's why. Our first and foremost task is faithfully to care for the inward fire so that when it is really needed, it can offer warmth and light to lost travelers. That's what you want to be like. You want to be the type of person that when people are feeling cold seasons in life, they go to you when life is falling apart at the seams, they go to you. And somehow spending time with you is like spending time with Jesus because you're so filled with his word. We would be remiss to end this series by not turning our hearts toward the goodness of God. 
Because the most active person in us becoming spiritually fervent people is not us. It's God. He will always be the most active person. We cannot depend on ourselves to be consistent. We cannot depend on ourselves to be faithful. Guess who always is faithful? So if you have eyes to see it, and one day you're getting towards the end of your life, and you're looking back, you will see, if you have eyes to see it, if you're paying attention, that he's been good all along. He's been faithful to you all along. His love has been there every step of the way with you. And even if you don't see that right now, it's his goodness that will get you through. We're not the most active player in this game of spiritual maturity. He is, and he always will be, and he will sustain you to the end. Would you stand with me and and pray? All the things that we're about to sing are absolutely true. Your mercy never fails us. You are so good to us. You are always faithful. Your love is always there. And because of that, it awakens this desire in us to live for you. Because of your goodness, you help us have a desire to do things like memorize scripture that feels like a very practical, doable, non-magical step. But somehow doing that makes us more alive in Christ, makes us abound in you. That is a foreign desire. That doesn't come in our, in our factory settings. Apart from you, we would repel against you constantly, but it is your goodness that draws us to you. It's, our, it's your kindness that causes us to repent and turn to you. It's your everlasting love that wins us in the end. And I pray that our hearts would be warmed and impacted by the words as we sing this, these truths about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.